to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. And welcome to Pentecost Sunday here at Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's a joy to be in worship with you this morning. I want you to know that if you stay after uh, the service for about 15 minutes, maybe grab a cup of coffee, come upstairs to the sanctuary. We're going to have a congregational meeting where we're going to vote on the slate of associate nominating pastor committee members who are going to search for a new associate pastor for congregational care. Uh, it's a great group of folks. We're really excited. Please be in prayer for them as they do their search over this next, um, these next coming months. So I want you to know that and you can come up and vote on that if you'd like um, after the conclusion of the service. Well, today is Pentecost when we celebrate God's sending of the Holy Spirit on the church. And let's be honest, Presbyterians don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. And so I'm doing my part to help correct that. And we're going to look at is as a, as a powerful text where the Spirit comes on the early church and transforms this group of individuals into a community of believers, And we believe that in some mysterious way that that spirit that transformed those people 2,000 years ago should transform our community, should transform our lives. So the question becomes, how does that transformation happen? So let's look today at this great text from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Open your eyes and your heart for the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost had come, They were all together in one place. And suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams." Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. 
and I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The shun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious, loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher. That that same transforming spirit that descended on your people 2,000 years ago might descend upon us. Might empower our hearts to be the people you have created and called us to be. (laughs) Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. They must be drunk. That's the first observation outsiders had of the first Christian church. Today's passage picks up in the second chapter of Acts. Jesus has died and been raised from the dead. He appears to his disciples over a 40-day period, and then he ascends to heaven. Before he does so, he sends his disciples and says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit there. And so they're all together in one place, and the Spirit descends upon them. And it's kind of a mysterious moment. They see tongues of fire over each other's head. They begin speaking in other languages, and people who are there listening hear the gospel message in their own language. It's a miracle. God is with them in a powerful way. This collection of individuals has become a transformed community. Indeed, this opening scene shows the power of a world-transforming movement. Excuse me. (coughs) The church is now the church. The first Christians are filled with the power of God's Spirit. They have become a community of faith. They are drawn into love and fellowship and new relationships. They are being prepared to set out in the world as Christ's witnesses. The church has become the church. And the first observation made about this new group, the first remark that's ever made about these new Christians, the first comment about these followers of Jesus is, they must be drunk. They must be drunk. They are filled with new wine. Someone must have gotten into the rabbi's cough syrup. The problem for these onlookers is that they've confused spirits with the spirit. The early church has been filled with the spirit and is about to become a world-transforming moment. And they look crazy. The first thing people say is they must be drunk. But I mean, frankly, I think there's something to this. Every church, every Christian, every person that has had an encounter with God's presence should seem a little crazy. Should seem a little nuts. And so Peter begins to describe what he sees, what has happened, the inflection point in human history that's happened in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And to prove he's not drunk, Peter begins to quote from a prophet who's been dead 500 years, the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Peter says, no, we are not drunk and here's why. We are living in the last days. And Peter goes on to use apocalyptic imagery to vividly describe this transformation. 
fans of the book of the Bible like Revelation, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, the Old Testament prophets know this language. It would be familiar to you. It's the kind of language you use when you want to wake your audience up. When you're worried that they might miss the message. They say fire, portents, and smoky mist. We're living in the last days because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. (coughs) We're living in what is called the last days. Now for us, 2,000 years since then, that could seem like really the last days. But if you think in the continuum of the time of the earth, that it's 4.5 billion years old, it seems like it could be the last days. The biblical view of human history goes like this. God creates the world out of nothing. And the first humans sinned and distorted and disfigured creation. And now we are incorrigibly stuck in sin. We can't help ourselves. We can't get out of it. The good thing is the turning point of history comes when God comes in Jesus Christ. And through his life, death, and then resurrection, he extinguishes the power of sin and death. It's like a a candle. He snuffs it out. And now we are living in the last days of that story, waiting for the consummation of all things when God will come to turn and make all things right. You know that time you've been waiting for, Peter asks, well, it's here. We are living in the last days. And how you consider and see the end of things changes how you live today. My friend has a daughter who loves to read. She just reads voraciously. One night it came time for her to go to bed. He says, honey, you put the book away. It's time for you to go to bed. She goes, I'm not done with the story. I'm not done with the book. I have so much more to read. He says, okay, five minutes and then it's lights out. Five minutes goes by and he goes up to her room. Guess what? She's in the bed. Lights are out. She's ready to go to sleep. He's kind of surprised. He says, honey, I thought you had so much of the book left to read. The lights are out and you're in bed. She said, yeah, I skipped and just read the ending. See, she could go to sleep then because she knew how the story ended. And in the same way, the spirit is the transforming present of God's future in the present moment and transforms how we can live today. We know the ending because of Jesus Christ's resurrection. And the Holy Spirit is God's reality, powerful, transforming presence with us today. And we can live different lives because we know the ending to the story. Peter says the Holy Spirit shows us that we are living in the last days. Verse 17, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. See, I think there are two real clear consequences of the empowering or transforming presence of the Holy Spirit among us. The first is we see radical unity amidst diversity. Did you notice that? People speak in all different languages, but they have the same message. Speaking in different languages, but they tell the same story. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. See, what we see here in Acts 2 is the undoing or the reversal of what happens in Genesis 11. Genesis 11 tells the story of the Tower of Babel. As Genesis tells it, all of humanity shares the same language. 
And they say to themselves, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make our name great by building a tower to the heavens. Before they can begin, God comes and disbands them and confuses them and gives them different languages and they're scattered. And in Genesis 11, we see the timeless story of human ego, arrogance, wanting to make our name great. And it ends up being our undoing. But what we see in Acts 2 is the complete reversal of that movement. That everybody hears in the good news message in their own language, but it's the same message. There's great unity amidst diversity. We are called to live in a community of diversity where everyone feels valued. Loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Why do you do that? Are you drunk? No. It's the power of the Spirit. The second consequence, we have a new understanding of who is included in the work of ministry. Notice, Peter says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, verse 18, even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my Spirit and they shall prophesy. This is the second consequence of the Holy Spirit's presence, everyone is included in the work of ministry. Young and old, all genders, slaves, free people, everyone is included. See, the gospel flattens out these distinctions and makes us unified in Jesus Christ where all are called to serve. Unfortunately, so many people in the Christian church even have forgotten this point. Oftentimes, like the gift of preaching, they They'll restrict it only to men. And whenever I have conversations with these people, I say, how do you interpret Acts 2? They say, well, God created, you know, differences between men and women. Women shouldn't preach or whatever. I said, where do you think that happened? Where, where do you get that in Scripture? They're like, well, I just look at the world and kind of see it. I say, okay, let's go to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve were created. Okay, the rabbis used to teach Eve, you remember, she was created from a rib of Adam's. And the rabbis used to teach she wasn't taken from his head because then she might rule over him. She wasn't taken from his feet because then he might rule over her, but from a rib to symbolize this egalitarian, mutual, loving relationship. And they have one command, do not eat from the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we're all good. Well, what do they do, of course? They eat from it. They disobey God. And God finds them hiding in the garden. And then he brings a, a judgment, a consequence of their disobedience. And when he brings that consequence of their disobedience, he says to the woman, I will great, and the man has, he gets consequences too, but to the woman he says, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Notice, that's a consequence of the fall. It's a consequence of their disobedience. That's the bad news. But I've got good news for you. What has God done in Jesus Christ? Defeated and undone the consequences of the fall. That's why Paul will call us a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Those consequences are gone. Now we are all called to serve in ministry, men and women alike. We're living in a post-resurrection world. We're living in the last days. In Christ, regardless of people's gender, 
their economic status, their role in society. We are all called to serve. This was a radical transformation in the history of humanity. I mean, one of the questions people ask when they look at the early church is they're like, how in the world did the church grow? Why was there this explosive growth? I mean, after all, they're worshiping the executed peasant from Palestine, which was the backwoods of the Roman Empire. And they say one of the reasons is because people who are marginalized and ostracized in Roman society and in Greek the Greek world could find value, meaning, and purpose in the church. They're valued and honored. People who are looked down upon now are looked up to in the church. If you don't believe me, go and read Rodney Stark. He's a sociologist of religion at the University of Baylor. Read his book, The Rise of Christianity. He goes through and he gives an account of how people who are cast off by Roman society are brought into the church and taken care of. He highlights a pandemic that happened in Rome when 5,000 Roman citizens were dying a day. People were taking their own family members and throwing them into the streets to die. And guess what? Those Christians came along and took care of those people. It was an innovation that they had never seen before, but it transformed the human community. People were saying, are you drunk? No. It's the power of the Spirit. Because they're they believed they were living in the power of the Spirit. And when it comes to living in the last days, God does not so much care about your ability, but about your availability. I was telling you about that associate, associate pastor nominating committee, those folks who are going to serve to discern who God is calling next to serve with us. A couple weeks ago, we elected elders. And one of the things our nominating committee do, does will call people and they'll say, would you accept the nomination to become an elder or serve in this way? And people, they always say, what, who, me? I'm not qualified. What do I know? It's like, oh man, God does not care about your ability, but about your availability. In fact, your inability allows God's presence to shine forth, God's power to shine through. We're living in the last days. And this insight is at the heart of what it kind of means to be Presbyterian and the way we order ourselves. In fact, in our book of order, which is kind of like our constitution that governs the way we arrange ourselves, it says this about ordination and elders and pastors. One responsibility of membership in the church is the election of officers who are ordained to fulfill particular functions. The existence of these offices in no way diminishes the importance of the commitment of all members to the total ministry of the church. These ordained officers differ from other members in function only. In other words, we are all called to different functions, but we all have the same status. Unity amidst diversity. Elders, pastors are no better than anyone else. They're just called to serve in a unique way. And you're called to serve in a unique way too. Maybe it's by volunteering with Vacation Bible School. Maybe it's being a Sunday school teacher. Delivering flowers to someone who needs to brighten their day. Maybe be volunteering as a shadow for our exceptional children's program. I could go on and on. We're all called to do the work of ministry. God cares not about your ability, but about your availability. You might say, Jeff, are you crazy? Yes, a little bit. <laughs> I was kind of doing an accounting of the last couple years. 
And I thought, man, we have had an opportunity to do some crazy ministry together. If you would have told me about the challenges we were going to fa face over the next two years, I would have, you know, huddled under my desk in a fetal position with my thumb in my mouth. I just wouldn't have known what to do. But what we found is some transforming ways that God has been working among us. We've expanded the number of people that we're ministering to, that we're able to do through technology and virtual ministry. We're ministering to more people today than we were two years ago. And if you would have told me that, I would have said, are you crazy? Have you been drinking? <laughs> no, man, it's just the spirit. If you would have told me that we wouldn't have to lay anyone off, that this congregation would step up and give generously through stewardship, that we could continue the work of ministry we're called to. I'd say, are you crazy? Yeah, a little bit. A couple months ago, the session made a decision to give, I think the largest gift we've ever given as a lead gift to Zablon Curia, our partner in ministry with Rockbridge Ministries in Kenya. He's got this innovative idea for ministry in Nakuru. And so we're saying, yes, we believe in you. Yes, we're different. Yes, we live on different continents, but we can serve together. We can find unity amidst our diversity. You might say, are you crazy? Live your life in such a way that demands the question, are you crazy? And you can only answer yes a little bit because of the power of the spirit of Jesus Christ. We're not drunk. We're living in the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you for the Spirit that is upon us, that empowers us to do the work of ministry that you've called us to. Let us focus not on our ability, but on our availability, to step out in courage and in faith, for these are the last days, and you look to work through and with us. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.